When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. Hi, it's Brett Phillips here, host of The First Serve, and thank you for downloading the latest edition of Aussies Only, one of our podcast offerings here at The First Serve. You can get your weekly live tennis fix with The First Serve every Monday night on the SCN Radio Network at 7pm Eastern. All the broadcast details of how you can listen can be found at our website, thefirstserve.com.au. Welcome to Aussies Only, the first serve's deeper look inside the game at home. Talking to those inside and outside the tram lines. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Aussies Only, brought to you by Latua Tennis. Head over to latuatennis.com to get your hands on the hottest tennis apparel range in the game. It's your host Jed Zetta and today, my co-host, the former pro Jake Eames and I, sit down for an extended chat with an Aussie player on the rise. Harry Bouchier jumped from outside the top 700 in the rankings to inside the top 300 in 2019, and the Tassie boy with major X-factor, including a massive serve and heavy ground strokes, joins us to talk about his journey from a young boy growing up in Tasmania to a pro tennis player travelling the world. Eamesy, over to you to bring in our special guest. Pretty pumped for the guest today. He's from a good tennis family. He's the highest ranked out of all his, his family members, which I'm sure he lets them know about every day. Tall, talented, and an extremely clean ball striker. Harry Boucher, welcome, mate. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. Harry, you're a Tasmanian boy. How was it growing up in Tassie? And tell us a little bit about your childhood. Yeah, so grew up in Tassie. Family's pretty into tennis. Uh, my brother and sister played. So always had them guiding me as I went along and they went off to college tennis in America and I was I'm about six years younger than them and they were always pretty good but I knew that I obviously wanted to be better than them and take it one step further and try and go professional. Since them guiding the way and everything, yeah, I've just really been been into the tennis scene. I've played many other sports when I was younger but just tennis has really stuck out to me. So, yeah, happy to still be playing it at 24 years old. Do you remember the first time that you picked up a racket? Uh, I don't. I, we have a tennis court in our backyard, so probably as young as when I could hold a racket, I was playing out on the court when my brother and sister were getting lessons or something like that. So, yeah, as young as I can remember, I had a racket in my hand. When did you start beating your siblings and when did you become the best player in your family? Do you remember that um, point? I do remember, but I think depends who you ask, whether my brother or my sister. <laughs> so I could probably beat my sister around 12, 12 years old, and she would have been almost 18. And then my brother 
went off to college. So I didn't see him for a few years. And we had Christmas over in Vegas one year. And uh, it was a bit of a hype because I just came off winning the 14s nationals and I thought I was pretty good. And we took it down to the park courts to play out a set. And uh, I think we played the longest first game ever, which I lost and then went on to, went on to lose the set six loves. So I think it was pretty clear that Eddie was still, still the favourite at that stage. But once we met up again after that, I was probably about 16. And yeah, I think I had his number uh, around 16, I suppose. <laughs> That's good to hear. We'll sure to give it to him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Growing up in Tassie as well, there's not a massive amount of players ranked high in Australia. How important was it to have, I guess, your brother and your sister, or having your brother at least six years older or so than you to compete against and really push you to get to where you need to be, to be the highest in your age group? Yeah, no, it was really good to have them both both around me and like feeding off my brother, who was obviously playing a few AMTs and going to a few Futures. So yeah, it was good to have that, but just during the year, it was tough to find good competitive tennis training. Obviously, my coach, Simon Newell in Tassie, could give me that, but it was a bit much to ask for him to come out on the court every day for a couple of hours a day. So when I turned 15, I actually made the move to Melbourne, and it was purely my decision. I asked my parents for quite a while if I could move to Melbourne, and trying to pursue my dream of playing the, the sport tennis and moved over here and got coached by Wayne Arthurs when I first got here. And I just wanted to do anything that I could to become a professional tennis player. And if that was to leave my family in Tassie at 14, 15, then that's what it was going to take. So it has been a long journey. Like I'm 24 years old now. So I have been trying to push on for a while but I feel like the last few years I just struggled a little bit with a few things um, but last year I had my best year on season winning almost uh, 50 matches on the ITF and Challenger circuit so yeah I had a pretty consistent year from my my viewing. Harry we're going to touch on last year later in the show in some more depth but just going back to your junior days you reached the top 25 in the junior rankings and you played some very high-quality players in your junior years. You actually beat guys like Matteo Berrettini, Denis Shapovalov, Borna Koric, and you also played Andre Rublev, Carl Edmund, and a lot of other players who went on to be top 100 players in the game. What worked so well for you in your junior years, and was that partnership with Wayne Arthurs, do you see that as a major success? Yeah, so it was a little group of us. It was uh, me, Omar Jaseka, Mark Polmans, and Jacob Grills um, that were assigned under Wayne Arthurs. And yeah, I think I played a lot of tennis and a lot of matches in my junior junior career. And I suppose when you play that many matches, you're going to build some sort of ranking. But at that age, it's just more about finding your feet and learning your own game. I think those better guys they weren't any different or any better uh the ones that you mentioned but again they were able to obviously springboard at a certain age and so at the time obviously they're no superstars so you don't know if they're going to go on and progress and that's just now that you look back on it but yeah everyone's pretty similar level yeah yeah we got to 24 in the world for juniors and there's no secret there that you're talented you had a good team around you in terms of players to train with and good guidance from 
Simon and obviously then Wayne Arthurs. So you had a really good recipe there to, to, to do well. On another side, I know as a junior as well, and still now, you're, you're pretty cheeky. And um, I've heard of a bit of a running joke uh, from your junior <laughs> days with your mum about throwing a banana over the fence in Germany at one of the juniors' events. Can you take <laughs> us through that? Um, yeah, I think I was about 17 years old and my, uh, my mum and dad came over to watch me in Halle. We're playing a junior junior tournament there and I, uh, I think I was down a set and my mum always tries to feed me bananas and uh, she got the referee to bring the banana over and uh, at the change of ends I just tossed the banana as far as I could <laughs> over the fence into the bush and ever since that like I don't know I just I just never liked bananas on court so it's always been a running joke around everyone that, yeah, don't give me a banana while I'm on the court. <laughs> that is brilliant. That yeah. is brilliant. Harry, after you played your juniors, you made a reasonably quick transition onto the tour and you were ranked inside the top 500 in the ATP rankings within a year of playing on the pro circuit. How did you manage to make such a swift transition onto the tour? Yeah, uh, I mean, at the start of the year, uh, we have the two challenges in Tasmania, which I, I'm fortunate enough to get a wild card into the most years, just being from Tassie. So I had a good start of the year there and just got a lot of confidence from winning those couple of challenger matches. And yeah, from then I went on a bit of a streak and then I actually went over to Turkey in around April, March, and uh, I went over there and got sick. And I ended up in hospital for a good seven days. And that really set me back. After that, I came home and, yeah, didn't really want to play tennis anymore due to the travel. And, yeah, it was a lot of anxiety around that, actually, traveling after that trip. But I did get my ranking to about 450, perhaps. And, yeah, it really put a halt on things because I didn't get a protected ranking and... Yeah, obviously my ranking dropped after that and then, yeah, it makes it tough. But, yeah, I mean, at the start of the year, doing well in those challenges and, yeah, springboarding from those and winning matches and getting confident. Yeah, it's a really tough situation when, you know, injuries occur like that where you're, you know, you're on the rise, everything's going well, you're doing the right things and it's kind of all taken away from you, out of your hands. Um, and, and what some people don't realise is that, you can't just go get another job because people don't want to employ anyone who's, you know, who's not sure how long they'll be around for, how long the injury is going to take. So it's a really tough stage of limbo there. You through those year, uh, those injuries, you drop back to about around a thousand in the world, and then coming to 2019, you got up to 700, and then bang, you kind of had a major rise inside the top 300 last year. What happened there? What clicked for you? Yeah, so I started the year at um, 7.50, exactly, mm. playing the Canberra tournament first on the list. And uh, I had a bit of an ab strain coming off 2018. Uh, throughout the whole year, I had this ab strain that I couldn't really get rid of or shake. But that first week, I did well. I um, won my first two round matches. And then third round, I played uh, Roberto Carlos Benella, who is was at the time like about 70 in the world and I won that match six three or four in the third with a pretty strained ab so I wasn't serving nowhere near 100 percent 
and I suppose matches like that, like you just get a lot of confidence from and knowing that I wasn't serving a hundred percent and I still did get through uh, to be the top, top hundred player. So yeah, that was a big, big part of the year. And yeah, then after that, obviously the Tassie challenges again, and then played the two Mornington futures, which I, I won both of them. So I got a lot of confidence from that. And it was just, yeah, building, building the year with consistency, I suppose. That was the main, main thing. Harry, how did it feel to win those two Mornington titles? Because they are your first two titles on the tour. Yeah. Yeah. So I was 23 years old and hadn't won a futures titles. And a lot of my peers have won quite a few futures here and there. So, I mean, that pressure was building up a little bit that I never won, won an event like that. And yeah, once I won my first one, I beat Chris O'Connell in the final um and then the next week similar scenario i had to play chris again in the in the final again although it got relocated back to melbourne park after pretty heavy rain so yeah i mean both those weeks were definitely confidence boosting for me yeah exactly and you said you mentioned chris o'connell there that you that you defeated and he went on to reach 119 in the world and obviously make main draw aussie open this year so your game is there and there are a lot of players that take some time to transition to the top 100 you've got a big serve and some big weapons do you feel really confident where your game's going and do you know any things that you're working on to help you get to that next step yeah so during this COVID time I've tried to take a step back and see what I can do almost work smarter not harder So, yeah, I've done a few things to try and implement that in my game. Started working with Richard Fromberg a little bit as a coach. And then, yeah, just trying to get everything else right. Obviously, my mentality and been doing a fair bit of work on that as well, away from the courts. As you mentioned, Harry, you've recently started working with Richard Fromberg. Have you set out some goals for when the tour returns? Yeah, so, I mean, it's tough to set out goals with with how everything is playing out at the moment, but I would ideally like to play a few events this year, um, whether that be in probably a couple of months' time to see if the tour does continue on for the rest of the year and not get cancelled. But in my game, just working on plays, like uh, obviously I've got a big serve, but trying to use that serve and set up the point yeah, trying to use my serve to set up the point to to my advantage, really, and not just not just play back the first ball and almost like a point starter. Yeah, that's good. And just just on the circuit there itself, there has a um, what what do you think the current situation is on the challenger circuit, which is predominantly where you're playing at the moment? You know, do you feel there's enough prize money, and you know, do you feel that the players are treated well? Uh, yeah, I think so. The Challenger circuit is obviously quite a big step down from the ATP tour, and rightly so. Obviously, it isn't the tour, but they are players that are playing on both circuits. For example, Stan Wawrinka, top 20 in the world, is playing a Challenger event this year, and that's—I mean—that's great for the Challengers, but it, essentially, it takes away positions for guys 100 to 200 in the world, and. Mm. I mean, it is good publicity for the event, but then again, like it's taking away opportunity for those lower-ranked players and there aren't those opportunities for those lower-ranked players as there's no futures or 
any other events going ahead right now or even qualifying for US Open, those guys can't play there. So I think Challenger Circuit is good, although there are so many top top players playing them and uh, it just makes it tough sometimes, especially my ranking 300 to select which events to go to. And at the moment, I'm not going to get into any events, but hopefully they, there is a few more events on each week uh later in the year so i can play yeah it's good uh, i've noticed over the last few years as you've you jumped in and played amts and towed them up is that just an extra way to get more matches or are you just trying to get some more money there to kind of fund your traveling yeah so i wasn't a big believer in playing amts when i was younger i tried to get out of a lot of them but at the end of two during 2018 when i have a bit of an ab strain I was too scared to go away and go away and play as my ab wasn't holding up during a match or two. So I started playing these AMTs with a bit of a strained ab. I know it isn't smart, but it was just way to get money. And um, mm. yeah, during 2018, I played a lot of AMTs. And then, yeah, I mean, it's great match play. You can't replicate match play. I know the level isn't as high as the challenger circuit or the future circuit, but yeah, just time on legs and playing matches. I think it was a big help for me going into last year as well, just playing a ton of matches. Like I said, I played, I won 50 matches, probably played close to 80 matches, but again, I probably played 30, 30 AMT matches as well. So quite, quite a big uh, match load. Harry, do you feel there is a major difference in standard from the future circuit going up to the challenger circuit? Uh, yeah, I think everyone's just a bit more switched on during the challenges. Um, not to say the, cha- the futures are weak or anything. By all means, they definitely are. But I think quarters, semis and finals, you'll probably play a few challenger players um, in the futures. But yeah, the first couple of rounds, if you're seated, you can sort of get through and find your feet a little bit. But as you go into those challenges from the start, like those matches are pretty tough and you have to be switched on. Yeah, it's yeah, 100% agree there as well. You mentioned before about, you know, it's tricky to set goals right now um, with not knowing what events are upcoming. How have you been managing isolation? Have you been able to train and, and stay fit? Yeah, so the first lockdown I had completely off, probably five or six weeks. And I tried to come back and start slowly, but I uh, I got a bit of a tennis elbow from something. So I have had tennis elbow probably for the last three to four months. I've never had tennis elbow, but I got tennis elbow during the lockdown somehow. Um, so I've just, I've just had a quarter zone last week on it and unable to practice at the moment. So once that heals up and then I practice for a month or so, get a good training block in on court, um, I'll look at the schedule again and see what I, I can play. But at the moment, yeah, just looking after my arm and yeah, staying sane during these times in Melbourne. Very, very fair. Harry, have Tennis Australia looked after you during this lockdown? Yeah, so it has been a bit of back and forth with getting into use the NTC. Uh, I know these stage four lockdowns, uh, restrictions are a bit tougher um, and at the start I was unable to access it due to my ranking um, and I'm not a not on any um, scholarship or anything like that so 
I wasn't able to get in, although now I'm able to go and use the gym and the facilities for a certain amount of day, which has been really good. Um, just getting back into the gym and, and uh, yeah, building up my strength again because it is quite tough just working out at home and stuff like that. You lose a bit of strength and fitness. Yeah, it's good to see um, you, you're able to access the facilities there. I think anyone of your level and potential should be, you know, given first-class treatment in there to, to access facilities and train properly. There's been a few players, or Bolsey, one of them, who's went to Brisbane to train. Obviously, the restrictions uh, are much weaker up there at the moment considering the situation. Did it cross your mind at all to, you know, get out of Melbourne and, and go somewhere else to train? Um, I mean, in hindsight, I would love to do that, uh, even go back to Tassie. But, I mean, yeah, I've enjoyed being here, although it would really be nice to have been in sunny Queensland or somewhere like that and being able to practice every day as per normal. But, yeah, I can't really do too much now. Harry, the tour is taking you around the globe. What is your favourite tournament that you've competed in in your career? Youth Olympics, actually. Um, I went to Youth Olympics in China. Um, I had my coach, Simon Yule, being our tennis coach. Uh, it was me and Mark Pollmans that represented Australia. And, yeah, I think just the whole – it was another event within event. So there was a tennis tournament, but then you had everything else going on around you, like it was a mini Olympics. So if I do happen to go to the Olympics one day, I just I feel like it would be something similar to that. And, yeah, I really enjoyed that experience and yeah hopefully hopefully one day it can happen again yeah for sure and I'm sure that will happen one day for you would that be you know for you the main highlight in your career so far or maybe does winning a futures title or competing in junior grand slams which one of those would be your main career highlight for you yeah I've had a few uh probably you uh junior davis cup as well me, Thanasi and Blake Mott, we came second to Italy in Barcelona. So that was probably one of my highlights as well. Played at all the Grand Slams. So just being able to be a part of an event like that um, was pretty cool. Um, and then I beat uh, Munakla, the Spanish guy at Australian Open. And uh, Tony Nadal was watching, so that was pretty cool as well. And then I went on to lose to Rublev uh I think it was 11-9 in the third set. So, yeah, I mean, that would be a few of my yeah highlights so far. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of tennis. There's going to be a lot of ups and downs. But um, overall, I obviously enjoy it more than I don't. How were your highlights there as a mate um, were involved in team environments? Do you really like the team environment? Do you feel like you, you kind of thrive and like to get around the boys? Yeah, yeah. Um, Although I am pretty introvert, but I do like, yeah, just the atmosphere and pulling through through for a team. I think it just has a bit more meaning to it. Although not, not to say that winning those futures, my first future title was an accomplishment, but I feel like you're a bit alone on those, like you win it, but it's almost, I don't know, maybe a bit selfish in, uh, in my terms that, all right, you won the event, but... Yeah, you're always looking to do more with the with the individual events. Harry, a lot of Australian players move overseas to sort of enhance their career and make it a little bit easier to travel around. Your brother went to college and that's, I mean, an option, but 
a lot of players these days are going to academies. There's some academies in Europe, including the Moritoglu Academy and the Nadal Academy, which is new now. Would you ever consider maybe trying to base yourself overseas at one of those academies? Yeah, I mean, it comes back to money and financial, I suppose. If you're good enough junior or coming out of juniors, then those guys are going to be looking for you. But if you're not, then it's probably going to cost you an arm and leg to go to those academies and, and live over there. Although it could pay off, you just you just never know. College, yeah, my brother and sister went and they were spoke really positive about it. Um, but yeah, I just felt like felt like I, I enjoyed playing tennis way too much and I didn't like the academic side of it. So for me, it was more about, yeah, just playing a lot of matches on the futures and stuff. Although I suppose the average age of the top 100 now is getting a bit older. I'm not exactly sure, but it's probably around 27, 27 years old. So, I mean, it's, yeah, I haven't hit my prime yet. Maybe I have, um, but yeah, every day you're just trying to get better and get stronger. Um, yeah. Yeah, I can tell you right now, Hazzy, you haven't hit your prime, I don't think. You had um, your brother actually, after college, came and travelled with you, played some doubles as with, with you as well. Do you like travelling with someone? Um, you mentioned before, like doing it by yourself sometimes, you know, is tricky. Who do you like to have with you when you're on the road? Yeah, yeah, someone pretty easy going. Um, doesn't even have to be a coach for me. Yeah, someone that I can get along with. Uh, though I do like my own time, so and I get enough of that on the road. But yeah, when I when I do travel, someone that is pretty easygoing and yeah, not talking too much about tennis away from the courts. A lot of players develop and sort of hit their peak in their late twenties and even early thirties. Do you believe your best tennis is definitely ahead of you? As Jake mentioned before, you've got these big weapons and a big servant. Do you feel that you need a bit more time to grow into your game? Yeah, for sure. Since coming out of juniors, I've had a had a little bit going on. I obviously had wrist surgery, uh, which yeah takes some time. And then following year, had the uh, sickness in Turkey that I lost ten kilos, and for me that's quite a bit of weight. Um, so I was pretty unhealthy after that. And then yeah, two thousand eighteen, I had ab strain on and off, and then yeah, had a first full year last year and I went from 700 to top 300 so for me I feel like it's just building building a ranking and that could take a few years but definitely I can definitely I can go go further than where I am right now for sure and the tour as we mentioned has taken you to every corner of the globe what is the worst place that the tour has taken you to another uh, worst place probably Korea I'm not a fan of Korea, although a lot of people would say China, but I don't mind China. So just putting that one out there. It depends on the results, huh? <laughs> uh, no, I just, I don't like the Korean culture too much. Um, but yeah, I can get around China. Um, I've definitely done a few trips to China. Yeah, as a player, you're going everywhere, as Jed just mentioned, um, and there's actually a lot of things to ma to manage. You know, hotels, flights, uh, food, the tournament signings, everything. And uh, there was a time where you fell asleep at the gate and missed the plane, wasn't there? Yeah, uh, <laughs> took a took a trip up to um, up to the AIS from Tassie. 
it was one day. So I left at 6 a.m., got up there, spent the day up there training. And then I think I had like a 5 or 6 p.m. flight back back to Tassie. And I was waiting at the gate and fell asleep. And as I woke off, the plane's taking off. And I just, yeah, it wasn't a good feeling. But anyway, I got to spend a night at the AIS as I was probably 15 years old. So I was pretty excited about that. Um, So it wasn't all bad news, that trip. Oh, it's amazing to have all those, all those experiences as a junior and obviously now on the professional circuit. Mate, you've got a huge game and incredible amount of potential to crack that top 100 if you start pulling it all together. We wish you the best of luck and thanks, Heath, for joining us today. No, thank you. Thanks uh, Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Harry. Really appreciate it. And yeah, we wish you the best of luck going forward. We definitely do believe that you've got the game to crack the top 100, especially after what you showed us last year. No, thanks. Well, we hope you enjoyed our chat with Harry. He's certainly one to look out for when the tour resumes, and we wish him the best of luck in his quest to the world's top 100. This week's edition of the show, all thanks to Latour Tennis. Head over to latourtennis.com to check out their Dig 3 collection, which you would have seen worn at this year's Australian Open. For another week, thank you for tuning in to this edition of Aussies Only. Subscribe to The First Serve via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform to listen at your convenience to all our weekly content, including past editions of Aussies Only, as well as our dedicated commercial radio program each Monday on SEN that you may have missed at 7pm Eastern. Crunching the numbers and in the huddle, produced by Study and Play USA. Subscribe to The First Serve, your home of tennis. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.